0: Thanks to our sponsor, Orchestry. Don't be fooled. Microsoft Teams and SharePoint are difficult. Microsoft Teams, when simply turned on, can be unruly and yield endless sprawl. SharePoint causes constant frustration with user interface and permissioning challenges. End the chaos and harness the full power of Microsoft Teams, SharePoint Online, and Microsoft 365 with Orchestry. Orchestry is the work made simple platform that empowers end users through controlled self-service provisioning while delivering the actionable insights and lifecycle management your IT administrators need to enable remote and hybrid work productivity without locking down the powerful capabilities of Microsoft Teams and SharePoint Online. See why so many are claiming Orchestry to be the must-have Microsoft Teams management tool of 2021. Get your free access to Orchestry with full-featured trial at orchestry.com and tell them the Microsoft Cloud Show sent you to get the All the Friends of the Show perks. This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode
1: 444. Today, AC and I are going to talk about Microsoft's astronomical growth and a whole bunch of news. Recorded live, January 27th, 2022.
0: This episode is brought to you by ShareGate. Microsoft Teams can be a great tool for your organization. That is, before your users make your environment messier than eating a hard-shell taco. And that's where Sharegate comes in. Their user-friendly tools automate the tedious daily tasks involved in migrating, managing, and securing Microsoft Teams so that you can maintain a safe and productive environment without locking it down. Head over to Sharegate.com for your free 30-day trial and transform the way that you manage your Microsoft Teams. Back to the show. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing
1: good. How about yourself? Very well, very well. It is a sunny winter's morning here in Seattle. We were just talking about <laughs> talking about the doom and gloom of winter yeah. and how you've had Seattle weather for the last two weeks and and uh, how miserable it can be. So for all of our northern hemisphere friends, and the you know enjoy the short days. But I've heard it is getting longer, and I'm definitely starting to notice the day is getting longer. So happy about that. But weird for Florida, two weeks of grim Seattle weather. That's no good.
0: Yeah, we are like. It seems like for the last five or six days, it's just been not raining, not dry, but like like drizzly and like spitting off and on and stuff. So
1: you mean um, like summer?
0: Like yeah, it's. I mean, it's a lot like you guys, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, But like you know, because in Florida, you know, we usually get rain. It's like a rainstorm. So like the weather app that I have, it'll warn you going, you know, it's going to rain in the next, you know, it's going to rain at about this time and the rain will be on and off. And it's like, it feels like it's going off nonstop for the last, last two weeks. And I mean, while it's not a bad day today, it's like 56 degrees Fahrenheit today, but we've been like down in the low thirties, right around like zero degrees on Saturday. It's supposed to be in the low twenties, like negative six Celsius. So wow, it's, yeah. That's like Twenty, Yeah, and that doesn't include the 20 to 40 mile an hour winds that we're going to see. So it's like... which What is going on, Florida? <laughs> I know. And so here's the part that sucks about it. And I, I shared this. I put something about this on Facebook, share it with you with, in a group that we're in. It's a major bummer because... So I'm a big race fan. Mm. Notably for like... American-style open wheels, so like IndyCar, but then also for internationally, across the world, sports cars. And this weekend is the kickoff for the IMSA series, the sports car Mm -hmm. series, and specifically for the Endurance Challenge. So the the Rolex 24 is this coming weekend. And usually we go down there for... The race usually starts about 3 p.m., And then we stay down there late into the night and then we come home and then we watch the rest of it on Sunday on TV. And, or at least I do. I mean, the family, I think kind of entertains me and stuff. Well, at least I thought so. This is the first year in like seven or eight years that we are deliberately not going by our decision. So we haven't gone in the past because of COVID concerns, but we are not going this time because it's supposed to be like in the 20s and like 40 mile an hour winds. And I'm thinking like, Tickets are like 50 to 60 bucks a piece. That's going to be like $300. My ARC family plus my, my son's right. girlfriend. We're going to be there for two or three hours. Everybody's going to be complaining the second the sun goes down. How cold it is. Say, yeah. Yeah. Let's go get dinner. And I was like, yeah, I'm just tired. Let's go back. Let's go home. And I'm like, well, that was $300 pissed away. We can always get dinner here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So
1: it's great. Yeah. That's well, that's unseasonal. I imagine getting that low.
0: It's not uncommon for us to get this way for like a week or two in late January, throughout February. But mm. this is like, usually it's like, we'd like touch it, but not like, Hey, we're going to hang out here for a while. It's like, mm, great.
1: I tell you I'm what, if you- I turned on notifications, every time it rained my phone would last about
0: two hours in the morning. <laughs> that's what I'm ex- That's almost what I'm experiencing. I mean, that's how I'm experiencing for you guys. It's, it feels like Seattle weather. It's like, it's dreary. Yeah. It's overcast. I haven't seen the sun in days. Yep. And it's just enough for it to rain to where you have to run your windshield wipers, but they skip as they go, even if they're brand new.
1: I never really understood it, but now I know why Nirvana came from Seattle.
0: They're just always right? angry.
1: Yeah. And that that, you know, the, the grunge scene was a big thing here in Seattle. And it all, you know, a lot of it was around Nirvana and stuff. And you can you can see how the weather induces a lot of that uh a lot of that type of music. But anyway, I digress.
0: No, totally. Totally. Hey, so um, which
1: you- well. We've got some news. We've got some big stuff to get. I think last time we talked about Activision, was it, last week or the week before? I can't remember when. Gosh, it's all a blur. But Microsoft had some big results and stuff. So we're going to talk about Microsoft's continued astronomical growth this year. And we've also got some other news to get through. But it's going to be a relatively short one. We're not going to waffle on for an hour or so. It's going to be, we're just going to do a quick Around the Horn news wrap up for this show. So should uh, should we dive in?
0: Sounds good to me.
1: This episode is sponsored by Raygun. Are you under increasing pressure to ship code faster than ever before? Then it's time to work smarter with Raygun's modern approach to error and performance monitoring. Raygun gives you instant visibility into the health of your software. And what makes it so unique is that not only does it tell you when something's gone wrong, it shows you exactly where it's gone wrong and how to fix it, right down to the line of code. Made by developers for developers, Raygun has built a suite of monitoring tools that are used and loved by thousands of software teams every single day. Monitor every corner of your tech stack with widespread language support and native integrations with GitHub, Jira, Slack, Bitbucket, Octopus Deploy and more for even greater visibility. Visit raygun.com to resolve issues faster and to deliver flawless digital experiences for your users. That's raygun.com to get started on your free 14-day trial with plans starting from as little as $4 a month. And we're back. All right, AC. So stock market's been going all sorts of crazy this last couple of weeks. Mm. Every day seems like a bit of a roller coaster of up and down and up and down. You know, one day I've got Microsoft friends complaining that Microsoft stock is down five percent or six percent or whatever, and then you look and it's already rebounded or it's back the next day or what have you. It seems to be all over the map at the moment. Mm. But the big news from Microsoft this week was their quarterly results. So their FY22 Q2 results. So it's not Microsoft has an offset offset financial year, right? So it's not a calendar year. And so Q2 was the to the end of December. Did you have a chance to peruse the results or uh, listen in on
0: what was said? Only as much as I have had time for during the monologue that you've had over the last like two or three minutes. Okay. <laughs> says, I pulled it up and I started reading through it like, which news is he going through first? I'm like, ah, shoot, I haven't read this one yet. <laughs> yeah. So, man, you know, what?
1: so what happened is, so they, they release the results. It happened, They usually release after hours, right? So right after the bill. Closes right after the stock market closes. And after hours, it dropped 5%. And I was like, man, the stock market is strange. You know, it's very odd. The big news was they absolutely crushed it, right? They nailed it. They did well on almost everything. And when you're at the size that Microsoft is at, growing in double digits and high double digits for multi, 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 multi billion dollar businesses is a big deal, right? So revenue. For example, was fifty one point seven billion, which increased twenty percent. And usually, I think these are yeah these are against the corresponding period from the last financial year. So Microsoft has grown twenty percent to the end of Q two since the end of Q two last year. Right, twenty percent. That is phenomenal growth at a size. And I I can you know if you listen to the show for a long time. I sound like a broken record because I feel like I'm saying the same thing. I've been saying the same thing for multiple years in a row. It feels like I'm, you know, going around in circles on this. But they continue to absolutely crush it and do really well, really well. So yeah, the high, the big number
0: was, you know, crushing revenue and at growth twenty percent growth for the year. Amazing. It's, I mean, revenue is up twenty percent. So again, this is year over year. So same ending quarter for previous year. Revenue is up 20%. Operating income is up 24%. Net income is up 21%. Diluted earnings per share is up 22%. Seeing these numbers, anybody that would look at this like, going, wow, that's really, really good. But I, I, I'm starting to look at this going, when is this going to stop? Because it's like, and I'm not I'm not saying that in a negative way. I'm just like, this can't continue. This is like somebody on a run at a blackjack table. It's like, this has to stop at some point. Like, when does it, right. when does this stop? Here's an interesting part of this announcement that kind of goes to
1: your point. Windows, you'd think, had essentially run its revenue course. It is up 25% on Windows OEM revenue. Yeah. That,
0: 25. Insanity. Absolute insanity. It's, Windows commercial side of it is up 13%. Yeah.
1: Incredible. It, and honestly, I haven't, I haven't jumped into any analysis of why... Windows OEM revenue is up so high. It's probably got to do with I mean my guess is it's got to do with Windows 11 release and a bunch of the promotions going on with you know a lot. computer makers and mm. promotion of buying a new computer with Windows 11 etc etc yeah. et right. So that's my guess but honestly I I don't know for certain. But yeah, you'd think a product that had sort of run its revenue course for the most part pretty stable, pretty yeah. consistent but certainly not a
0: 25% growth part of the business. Amazing. So here's two things I found that were interesting. I don't see one that really carves out like Azure. Well, I guess it does. Azure and other cloud services are up 46%. Office commercial and consumer products mm. were up by 14 and 15%, uh, respectively. That's the revenue increased by 14 and 15%, respectively. Here's the two that kind of stood out to me that were a bit that I kind of was a bit surprised at is I understand. You know, more people are moving to 365. I get that pandemic work from home. I get that's still a thing. Companies that didn't jump on board this work from home thing right away and move stuff to the cloud that are, or that were not already there, it, larger companies it took a lot more time to actually start to migrate. You're probably seeing a lot of those people still going through the onboarding of saying, "Hey, look." It's not like we're reacting to this because of the work from home. But now that we see that kind of forced us to see this as a viable option for our business, we want to go there that's going to be better. And it's just taking more time to get there. So I'm not surprised that we're seeing more of that in the Azure space and 365 space. But here's the two that really stood out to me. that was like, where's the push here that's driving this? I don't see it on the marketing side. And I don't see it like on the product side. LinkedIn Mm -hmm. revenue increased 37%. And dynamics mm-hmm. products and cloud services increased 27% that was or 29% that was driven by revenue growth of 45%. Like yeah. <laughs> did Dynamics have a release that I missed? And did LinkedIn I do something epic? I, I don't even heard of Dynamics in years. <laughs> I mean, I
1: know it's important, but I'm like, I know I'm not involved in that at all. Like I know nothing about that part of the business of Microsoft anymore. Really, I don't have friends yeah. that work in it that I know yeah. of. And you got like Dynamics 365 revenue growth 45% in the last year. Like,
0: what the? <laughs> yeah, what did you do? I mean, and yeah. I'm not being critical of it. I'm just like, and I know that I'm, I'm clearly, I'm missing something. We both are missing something, but I'm like, what, why is Dynamics up nearly 50% yeah. year over year? Like what? I mean, what? Uh, but the first thing
1: that pops into my mind is people are getting pissed off with how much Salesforce costs because that is a real, like yeah. Salesforce has been, you know, steadily increasing, increasing. And, People always talk about how expensive Salesforce is. And so I wonder if it's something like that that's driving dynamics. But you don't grow 50% year on year no. through just
0: poaching people off Salesforce. That's, you know, there's got to be something more to it than that. Actually, I'm pulling up a thing about pricing. Because I want to see what the difference is. So Salesforce has a 19%. So this is according to crm.org. They say that, and so I have no idea if this is a reputable source. I just decided to do a Google search and Google said that this is a good one. That's not driven by ads. Salesforce commands a 19% share of the CRM market. Microsoft has a smaller market share, but definitely not insignificant. It's between 3 and 4% putting the company in fifth place among all CRM vendors. Hmm. Okay, Dynamics is a lot more than just CRM. I get that. Yep. But, yep. and 3 or 4%, granted, there's a lot of room there to grow, to see a 50% increase. But still... That's a lot. Yeah. It's not a small business, right? Like Dynamics is a pretty big
1: business. So that's just incredible. So the results came out and the stock dropped 5% after hours. And the reason why... With all these amazing results, you think, why would that be? And then you look at the Azure number and you're like, oh, that's pretty good too. Revenue growth of 46% year on year. And you're like, well what the hell can be driving a drop in the share price after hours when the news is released? And what I could find is that analysts were disappointed that Azure's growth had dropped from 50% to 46%. And they're like, oh, growth is coming to an end. (laughs) And
0: this is the beginning of it flatlining. So this is the part that like the stock market, it gets frustrating, right? And so the prices that you see, and I know that you know this, but the prices that you see in the stock is what the analysts see as not reporting the news, but what what their perception is of a company today. And so if their perception was 50% growth and it comes in below that, then it's like, oh, well, the stock price has built in 50% growth. And so if it's less than that, then the stock price shouldn't be as high as it is. Five percent drop seems a little excessive. Seems like a little bit of a knee jerk thing. Yeah, yeah, but still, I mean, it's that's still really that's nuts. It's still <laughs> I'm nuts. sorry. These numbers are crazy. Windows
1: revenue twenty five percent. Azure revenue forty six percent up. Dynamics forty five percent up. Overall nineteen percent up across the entire company on a fifteen point nine billion. Oh, sorry, that was um that was business processes uh, fifty one point seven billion dollar quarter. Oh, God, I sound like an old man. I remember when Microsoft's entire business wasn't $50 billion. I remember
0: when Azure was Silverlight.
1: I remember when I used (laughs) to eat gravel for breakfast and walk to school with no shoes.
0: (laughs) I crawled to school on gravel. So, I mean... (laughs) That's
1: right. Uh, Anywho, it's crazy, uh, man. I guess the final thing I'd say on this is they spent 10 billion, obviously they spent, they're going to spend quite a lot of money on Blizzard, but that wouldn't have hit the books in Q4 of this past year. Sorry, Q2 of this last year. But Microsoft did spend nine, uh, sorry, 10.9 billion of buying shares back from people as well. So you know how they've got all this cash sitting around? Mm. You know, that's how they return value to shareholders is by basically giving them the cash through share buybacks and inc- mm. therefore increasing the value of their stock. So, um, you know, Pretty amazing, like it's just staggering where Microsoft's come from, given the flatline years of of the Bama era, and now what's happening under happened under Satya.
0: It's nuts! It's nuts, and I'm I'm really curious to see, like I, I'm really curious to see what the next few years are gonna are gonna unfold with this. I mean, are we? This isn't just companies are doing really good. This is a shift. I mean, we're in the midst of a shift of of so much stuff moving to the cloud. Being in this in the tech space for years, you and I have seen this. And we've lived it, but we've been really on the tip of the spear with the with the greater community of you know who's actually moving their stuff to the cloud. But seeing you know so many more businesses on the day to day thing, you're walking in and you're seeing that that's what they do that they're using services to run their business instead of like the investment they have to make to go through and to buy to buy like you know COTS products and those commercial off the shelf products as like one time licenses and stuff instead of buying like you know a repetitive one and paying a subscription to it it's like, it's so foreign. We're, like, for example, we're looking at the same thing for our swim team is looking at, we're putting in a scoreboard and you've got to buy like, not just the, the LED scoreboard, the led scoreboard, but you also have to buy a computer to run it. But then a device that sits between the computer and the scoreboard. And then you have to have buy the software that's going to run on the computer to actually do it. And the price of like the software, it's a one-time fee. And then you pay, and then it's going back to the licensing of like software assurance, where you pay a yep. five year license, it includes a five year license, and then it's a one year license on top of that for each one. Seeing what the cost of that is, you're looking at this like, well, that's a business I could get into because there's, there's definitely seems like there's an opportunity to take advantage of this.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's, it's not the old software world, isn't it? But
1: it, yeah, it, I, it, I still think yeah. we've only just, you know, this is the tip of the iceberg. Like I, yeah, yeah so many businesses and, they still run a ton of on-prem stuff and it's all going to go to the cloud eventually. All of it. How much compute do you think has moved from on-prem to the cloud, like at a guess? Like just a wild speculation. Uh, phew, I couldn't even give you a number. Five? I don't know. It feels to me like maybe five to 10%. If I was to put five bucks on it and bet, I'd say probably five to 10%. And that might be
0: optimistic. It's so hard to answer it because like if there, there's all this like well what if what counts like is it just my you know collabor- does my collaboration stuff count or is it like everything really like everything except laptops and desktops all servers everything we used to run on-prem
1: it's all going to run in the cloud eventually I wonder what, where we're at in that transition I would I still think there's absolutely bucket loads and bucket loads of servers running in enterprises around the world and I'd say probably not, like 90 to 95 percent are still running there
0: so uh, this is gonna total guess. This is gonna probably we said we're gonna do quickly with the news stuff, but I think we may be we may be sliding into a tangent on like the future of the cloud. So here's what I would be interested to see. Instead of playing Nostradamus and like you know where where things have gone yeah. or where things are going, I'd like this. I I'd like I love to go back, and I would love to see. And I know this doesn't exist, and I know there's no way to get an accurate number of this, but I would love to see. Let's start with around like 2010, and let's say every year or every two years what is the percentage of businesses that have had their workloads be from on-prem or from a third-party like hoster? Like if I did like exchange hosted by a third party, kind of like as a service, but where I've actually moved stuff to to running in the cloud instead of like just somebody else's. And I know there's the joke about, you know, the cloud is just somebody, somebody else's, else's data, data, center, data center. But yeah. But I mean, like, it's truly like, you know, the provisioning and all that stuff that's, that's different. I'd love to see that going back every two years. I'd love to make sure we take a snapshot of it right before the pandemic and like a time like right now. And I'd love mm. to see where like what kind of an offload that has taken over years. I mean I know I from starting in 2009, I know we ran our own business and we had to make, we had two or three servers that we maintained. They were virtual machines running somewhere or physical machines running somewhere. And I know that the business I'm running right now is 100% based on cloud service or run by cloud services. So that's I mean I've gone from 0% to 100% since 2009. But I'm curious to see where it goes. One of the things that surprises me a little bit about Microsoft, and I think Amazon does a really good job of this, and I'm really, or at least they're doing a good job of this, and I'm really, I, it's kind of surprising to me that Microsoft doesn't lean into this more, is that it seems like a huge growth area opportunity is around the modernization of mainframes and with companies that are you know one of the big things you're going to get from moving things into the cloud is both storage but not just new functionality but it's really just storage and compute and one of the things about mainframes is that they're just freaking workhorses and they they just work but it's all for compute and they're incredibly fast as well seems to me like there's a whole lot of the, there's a bunch of these workloads that companies are still running and babysitting their own very expensive mainframes but they can move these things to the cloud because really that's all it is, is just taking the compute instead of putting it in one box that you run, putting it in something else that's up in the cloud. And yep. that was one of the things that we saw. We talked a little bit about it when we did our AWS reInvent recap a couple yep. weeks ago. Yeah. Or a couple months ago. But the thing to me, like AWS is pushing this, as a, they push it in the first five minutes of their of their keynote at reInvent, where mainframe modernization is a huge thing and a huge pattern with them. Mm. I've had friends that have worked with um, with AWS in that space and I have friends that, those same friends that worked in the Microsoft, work with Microsoft and they've left the Microsoft space. They've gone over to AWS because they're like, AWS has a vision and they want to do it. To me, mm. that's like the, it's like, that's one of the Wild West like undeveloped prairies true. for being able to tackle and sell a ton ton of more consumption to companies because once they do that, I mean that switching cost is so high. Once yeah. you're there, you're there for a long time. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So and maintaining those things on-prem is no easy, cheap feat, right? Like no, that
0: big and expensive. A good so a good friend of mine is the global head of the global head of mainframe modernization for AWS. And he's got this thing, like their concept that they have It's true. I mean, it's pretty obvious. People who run AWS, or sorry, people who run mainframes—that's an older generation, right? Established companies running COBOL, they've written stuff for RPL, all that kind of. But it's all—it's all the older generation. So there's, and it's a lot of government stuff. It's a lot of big, big traditional business, banks, insurance, airlines, stuff like that. Yep. Yep. Uh, Hotels. And when you look at where things are today, you've got this is an aging demographic that is of people who run this stuff. And you're going to start to see them leaving the government sector as well to kind of go to cash out and go to the commercial sector because they need people to be able to run this stuff. And so now you're going to have this brain drain happening and everyone's going to be like, ah, we're kind of screwed. And some people are starting to see this and going, like AWS is seeing it going, this is an easy sell. We want to move you over because we also know that once we get you over to this, it's kind of like the whole idea of... Super sticky. You can't leave it's super sticky, but then we can sell you on services like once you get in it's like the gateway drug gotcha. but we can you're also going to be here for a long time I'm trying to think of like an analogy to it, but like you know where companies make so much more money off like off the constant payment of the services. we'll give you a phone for two years with a cheap monthly payment yeah just to kind of help us offset the cost a little bit because we're going to make our money off you off the monthly bill that you end up paying for data and yeah. voice and text and all that.
1: For sure. I mean, it's like Apple. The Apple ecosystem is very sticky because once you own an iPhone, then you start buying apps. And then you're like, oh, actually, now I need somewhere to stick my photos. So then you get an iCloud subscription, and the next thing you know, you've got an Apple TV and an iPad, and blah blah. And then it's like you're in the ecosystem, mm-hmm. and the cost of switching is super high. So, oh yeah,
0: uh, yeah, that's you're right. It's it's uncharted territory. I'm just I'm surprised that Microsoft doesn't because it, this is a play that Microsoft. Microsoft is capable of making that play, and I'm just a little more surprised that they're not put, they're not leaning into it more than yeah. AWS is. And I think it's just a it's a prime growth opportunity for mm-hmm. consultants as well to be able to you know help people do that migration of people that understand. I'm preaching in the choir here because I've got a, I hope one of my friends is listening to this because I'm trying to get him to take advantage of this opportunity now. But it is if you're a consultant, if you're a techie that understands and has worked on AWS. Or sorry, has worked on AS four hundreds and mainframes, and you also understand the concepts of the cloud and cloud architecture, AWS or, or Azure. Oh yeah, being able to translate that yeah, that is a very unique skill set. Yeah, yeah, I would think, and one that you could just totally cash in on. Yeah. So interesting we went, growth opportunity. We went way off the off. I went way off the deep end on that one. Never mind. No, that's good. It's interesting. I'm crazy, right, Ivan. Um, let's move on. Do you, What have you got for us this week? I'm going to go crazy, Ivan, and switch over to security. Microsoft um, has discovered attackers are targeting an undisclosed SolarWinds vulnerability. <laughs> oh, my God. Really? Another one? Thanks to Log4J. They discovered a previously undisclosed issues with SolarWinds you software while looking for Log4J vulnerabilities. <laughs> he, This guy explained uh, on Twitter, this yeah. one researcher explained on Twitter, how he was, was hunting for a log4joy log for j exploit attempt and he noticed attacks were coming from serve you data exe. He said, quote, taking a closer look, taking a closer looked revealed, you could feed serve you j with data, and it'll build an LDAP query with your unsanitized input. And this could be used for log4j for attack attempts, but also for LDAP injection. And what he said, one thing he he notified SolarWinds. They immediately responded, they investigated it, they fixed it right away, and the response was one of the quickest ones that people have seen. It's interesting, there's a CVE that's been published on it. Microsoft has even released a blog post about the issue. They said, quote, it's an input validation vulnerability that could allow attackers to build a query, given some input, and send that query over the network without sanitation. So it's been patched and fixed, but it's like... I mean, we thought that we were saying like, "Oh, log for joy, log for j is going to be the the um, like the gift that keeps on giving," and at the same time, it's like Solar Winds is like going, and I'm not going away. So brutal, brutal. Yeah. All right, switching things to Windows for a second. I've got two items here. I'll
1: quickly blast through. Windows 11 is getting Android apps. You'll be able to download apps from the Amazon App Store and have them run on Windows soon. Next month, they're launching a public preview, which will be kind of interesting isn't this isn't this fascinating like okay so this technology has been something Microsoft's been working on for years and years and years and it mm. like even when I was at Microsoft there was a this was back you know 2015 Microsoft were going to launch the ability to run to run Android apps on Windows and Windows Phone back then I think it maybe it was just Windows actually and I think about it but it all got pulled at the last last minute mm. and so this has been brewing for for a long time, but they're finally pulling the trigger on it. And I think it's interesting because, you know, the, the joke has always been the, you know, the, the Windows Store and the app ecosystem, you know, when it launched, it was full of like, you know, weird Etch-a-Sketch looking icons and stuff like that. And, you know, apps that weren't very high quality and all of that sort of stuff. But it's actually come quite a long way with the addition of, you know, Win32 apps being able to be distributed through the store and also now with Android apps coming, I think that's going to be another step in that same direction. So I think Microsoft are making some quite good moves in the App Store for Windows. And anyway, so yeah, Amazon's App Store is going to be available. Apparently, there's a there's a hacky sort of workaround to get the Google Play Store running on it as well, but it's not going to be officially supported by Microsoft. And uh, yeah, so we can expect that coming in the next few months, a public preview at least. That was one thing. Another thing in terms of the news for Windows is... There's new Windows 11 SE devices coming for educational purposes. So these are sort of Chromebook compete type devices in the $250 kind of range. Because Microsoft is obviously a bit pissed off with, with Google's inroads in the classroom with their devices or Chromebooks. And like, mm mm, it's not good. I think Microsoft could do quite well in this area given their connection to things like device management and all that sort of stuff that goes along with the rest of the enterprise requirements and the way schools get to manage devices and all that stuff. I don't know if you have ever had to use a Chromebook or look after a kid's Chromebook. Our kids have, my kids have got them from school and man, it's just it's like I don't even know how to describe it.
0: You know it's useful to use a browser. That's yeah. It. Well in the it seems like Microsoft could They have an opportunity to do more to educate people on what they're getting by having like Office 365 in the school system. So, like, I'm like watching between two different schools that my kids go to their teachers, their classmates, and then themselves. And they all have Azure AD where they work in school accounts for their class that's got their student number and their email address. But then they also have like a OneDrive personal account. That they have separately outside of school, but then they also have like my kids have a, a a real Azure AD work account through my tenant, and they don't get like how they can easily share stuff and keep it like in a drive that's available. Like my as crazy as this is, I know our listeners to the show are going to laugh when they hear this, but like my daughter's got a OneDrive account, a OneDrive for Business account, and she was storing all of her homework there. She didn't realize it, but. She was copying it when she got home. She was, or she went to school. She was copying it onto a flash drive, and when she got home, she put it in her iCloud account so that it would sync, so she could have access to it at school. And I'm like, you realize you actually have everything that you need. In fact, we can set it up to where your MacBook syncs with what's right. with your OneDrive, so you can have all your homework like right here. Yeah, and yeah. like even just last night, she was texting me yesterday, and she's like. I Need access, and I'm like, To what? She's no no, I need access. I'm like, Yeah, I know to what? And she goes, No, 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 like I need access. to create a database. And I'm like, Microsoft access? <laughs> wow. I'm like, oh, she goes, How do I install that on my laptop? I'm like, You have a MacBook, you can't. <laughs> yeah,
1: interesting.
0: So I spun up, I spun up a VM for her and she did all the work. She connected to the VM and stored it all on her on her laptop. And today she was texting me and she's like, Because it was syncing down to her MacBook. And she texted me from school and she goes, I forgot my database. Um, can you please email it to go on my laptop? And please email it to me. I'm like, it's in your OneDrive. And she's like, How? I'm like, we'll talk about that later, but go look at your yeah, OneDrive. Yeah. yeah. She's like, Oh my God, there's my database. It shows a timestamp from yesterday. I'm like, Yeah. That's right. <laughs> but, so, this is the thing one of the advantages of getting in the, in the education system from Microsoft is, to be able to get people hooked on their products and services. Yep. So when they leave the education world and they go into the commercial world and get a job that they naturally want to use those things. And that's like where like, you know, Adobe gives their stuff away to education for like, you know, the creative cloud stuff to the design people. And they, that's what they learn. And so that's what they feel like they have to be like, they have to use and they go in the commercial world. And it's, I mean, Microsoft just seems like they could do a little bit better job to kind of tone it down and make it a little bit easier for people to understand. I don't know. No, Maybe I totally
1: just get it. Uh, they've never done very well in this. It's all been very scattershot, the educational approach. But I don't
0: know. Yeah. Anyway, they're all commercial. Hey, speaking of OneDrive and Microsoft 365, did you see the monthly active users for Teams announcement from the quarterly call? I did. I did. Two hundred and uh, was it two hundred and seventy million?
1: Yeah, two hundred and seventy mil. It's quite a lot. It's quite a lot of
0: people. In ninety percent of Fortune 500 companies used Team Phone this past quarter. Wow. To call
1: people, I guess. That surprised me. Yeah, that is impressive. They've done such a great job with it. I mean, not of the app. I mean, of adoption. The team's client is becoming iTunes-level comedy. Right? iTunes is an app on Windows. Like, we all know how bad that has been over the decades. Right? Teams on Windows, the actual client application is just a dog's breakfast. It's, I noticed little quirks and weird things every day. The performance is terrible. Yeah. I get sent an image that, and you click on the image, but like you can see the thumbnail of the image in a chat and you click on it to maximize the image and it just doesn't show. And you're like, yeah. what the hell? Where? <laughs> and you go back and forth and sometimes changing channels and coming back, you know, changing teams and coming back or whatever and clicking on it again. That sometimes works. But I had one yesterday where where it wouldn't. I'm like, dang it, I just want to see this graph. Mm-hmm. And uh it was just it was irritating me. Teams on on Mac OS is better for sure. But yeah, the Windows one in particular, I mean, that's not saying a lot. It is better, but it's not great.
0: Yeah. So yeah. I, I mean, like five stitches is worse than getting ten stitches in your head, but I mean
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> being punched in the face twice is worse than being being punched in the face once. Yeah. But yeah, it's I know that they're doing a lot of work in this area. I know that they're working on getting away from Electron and stuff. So hopefully this will improve, but it can't come soon enough. But yeah, 270 million, that's a ton. Notice they've moved from talking about daily active users to monthly active users. That was the big change, I think. Yeah. To sort of smooth things out, I think. Mm -hmm. Hey, one one sort of Azure-related thing I've got here. I'm not going to get into all of the details because it's quite a long post, but... Microsoft has posted a thing called or a post called Azure DDoS Protection 2021 Q3 and Q4 DDoS attack trends. It's posted on January the 25th and it's got some interesting numbers about the number of DDoS attacks that Microsoft see and the kind of the nature of them, the duration of them. Just some absolutely staggering numbers. Microsoft mitigated a 3.47 terabits per second attack and two more attacks above 2.5 terabits a second. Isn't that incredible? That's amazing. Incredible I, scale of these things.
0: Yeah, it's eye-popping. I mean, you don't really like... It's just eye-popping.
1: Yeah. Apparently, it was a distributed attack originating from approximately 10,000 sources from multiple countries around the globe, including United States, China, South Korea, Russia, Thailand, India, Vietnam, Iran, blah, 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 blah lots and lots. Incredible. Huge, huge number of attacks. Duration, they've got a nice little chart here about, you know, most attacks are in the 11 to 20-minute range, or mm-hmm. I guess probably the, well, really 6 to 30-minute range is really the bulk of them. But just interesting stats on what Microsoft sees and how they might make our lives a bit simpler by by defending against some of these things for us. Like, it's uh, it's not stuff I think about on a day-to-day basis,
0: you know? mm mm-hmm. No, it's interesting. I saw the same article when this came out. It's um just fascinating. Scale is pretty high. Yeah. One other the thing too, I just throw out there, and we'll have a link to it in the show notes. That uh, Microsoft is hosting a, uh, in combination with AMD, uh, something called the Azure Open Source Day. In the event, you can, they say that you're gonna be able to learn things uh, like how Microsoft is committed to open source and works with the open source community to develop new technologies. You can hear about latest trends and capabilities using Azure and Linux together. Straight from Microsoft Insider. So the event coming up, it's only an hour and a half. So I'm not sure how you can he- learn about, you can find out all this stuff, but they're going to pack it in there for about 90 minutes. It's going to be on Tuesday, February the 15th, and it will be from 9 a.m. to 10:30 a.m. Pacific time, so 12 noon to 1:30 p.m. Eastern time, right. and then whatever that is, I can't remember in UTC. I can't, no. I never can remember. And
1: our uh, we've had him on the show before, but Brennan Burns looks like he looks like he's going to be presenting. Yep, i will definitely yeah, he's... Be interested in tuning into that. They're going to talk about the the Linux distribution being built by Microsoft, which I thought was pretty
0: cool. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Definitely mm-hmm. be interesting.
1: All right, cool. how about we um, how
0: about we wrap up this news and dive into our picks? Sounds good to me. AC's Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Back to the show.
1: I think we've got a theme going on this week. I actually changed my pick, AC, oh.
0: because
1: I saw what you, where you were going and I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to stay on the theme. Oh,
0: so right. uh, why don't you kick us off this week and uh, oh. with your picks? All right, so I got two picks. One is quick, one is a little bit longer explanation. It's going to be interesting to watch. James Webb Space Telescope. I know we might have talked about it in the past one or two times on the show, but it has finally reached its destination. I say finally because it's only been flying for about a month. It launched on Christmas Day on December the 25th. And late January, it has reached L2, its destination. It coasted into its spot where it was supposed to. Everything with the deployment and the with the launch, the deployment reaching its destination, I'm kind of, I want to... Knock a little bit here on wood, but everything's gone really flawless. They've been very impressed with how things have gone. We're still about five months away from being able to see the first pictures come back because now is the phase where they start calibr- cooling down all the instruments, calibrating the instruments, running a bunch of tests, make sure that everything is good, and before they start taking their first pictures and see what comes back. So
1: that's- Did you see that meme where the, the first picture comes back and it's basically this... This red haze and and mirrored and
0: mirrored writing. It's like removed before flight. Yeah, that? yeah. That, so that was from a um, that was actually from another. It was from another like ULA launch, but they somebody reused for this one. But ah, yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah old not. meme, old meme, but it checks out, sir. Yeah, Star Wars reference. So <laughs> the one that is one that's really good that I thought was really interesting here is one by Ars Technica, and the title of this is "After Seven Years, a Spent." Falcon 9 rocket stage is on the course to hit the moon. So here's what's going on with this. So about seven years ago, SpaceX launched its first interplanetary mission. And in the second stage, so the smaller of the two stages, completed a very long burn to reach its transfer orbit. So the thing that it was deploying was called the NOAA Deep Space Climate Observatory. And it was making a very long run to another Lagrange point but it's more of a sun-Earth-Lagrange point compared to the one that L2, which is being used for James Webb Space Telescope. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting about this is that usually the second stage comes back to Earth, burns up, falls in the Indian Ocean or the Pacific Ocean. And in this case here, because it was such a long burn, it kind of just like... It didn't... Its its orbit didn't decay. It kind of progressed (laughs) where it kind of escaped Earth's orbit and was just kind of like tumbling. Well... According to some sky observers, so not professionals, but more like uh, amateurs, they have been watching this stuff and they're like, "Um, this thing is kind of tumbling to where it's going to hit the moon. Hmm. This is interesting. So this thing, they think it's going to happen right around March the 4th, and it's supposed to impact the dark side or the far side of the moon. Dry, this thing, so no fuel in it, which should be spent this thing should be about four metric tons when it hits the moon. So this is the first time that a man-made object is going to unintentionally hit the moon. Usually the upper stage is sent into a heliocentric orbit, keeping it away from the Earth and the moon. So what's going to be interesting about this is like, we'll see what happens. So everybody's like, hey, can, uh, th- this guy posted something on this um, project uh, website that uh, is very popular among these uh, amateur sky watchers and gave a bunch of information and was calling for other people to kind of fact check his work and look for help and everyone's like uh yeah this this looks like it's gonna happen so kind of interesting yeah that is that is
1: curious this thing is going to hit the moon at 2.58 kilometers per second which is about 5700 miles an hour
0: yeah, it's going to be. They're really curious to see the before and after pictures where, they, where it's going to hit. Like, can we get pictures of this?
1: Yeah. The plume of debris will be uh, considerable, I imagine, at that, at that speed. A little dusty, a little dusty. Yeah, and there's not much gravity to keep it all down, right? So it might actually eject. I have no idea if it'll eject it very far, but you should be. I guess it's on the far side of the moon, so we won't see it. But I don't know. Interesting. Staying on the space theme, I've got a link to a YouTube video by Adam Savage. Remember Adam Savage? Yes, he's got a YouTube channel called Adam Savage, Savage's Savages Tested. God, that's hard to say. It's called Adam Savage checks out the Apollo Eleven command module. So some time back, he went to NASA and and has done a series of interviews with some of the conservators who are looking at, looking after NASA artifacts, such as I think it was Neil Armstrong's spacesuit that he walked on the moon with, and things like that. Anyway, so now he's gone back to NASA, uh, sorry, back to uh, I think it's the Smithsonian, not NASA, and is talking to one of the conservat one of the conservators. I think that's what her title is about the Apollo Eleven command module, and he gets to have a look inside it and and talk about some of the restoration and preservation things they're doing to it as an artifact. Now, what's interesting is I got to see this in person. The command the Apollo Eleven command module did a tour of the country. And it came to Seattle a number of years ago, and I went to go and see it. And it was just me and this Apollo 11 command module hanging out in a room with a security guard.
0: <laughs> that was the one when I was in Seattle and we saw that, didn't isn't it? Yes. You and a, and a friend, I, um, Jeff. Yes. Right? Yep. Yeah. And the security yep. guard. Oh, my God. Yeah. I do remember this. That's right. Gosh, I've totally forgotten about that. That's but okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm a forgettable person. I won't take offense to it. For very long. There you go. (laughs) it was
1: kind of a big deal. And it was amazing, as you will attest to,
0: that I didn't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Remember how excited I was? (laughs) Yeah.
1: You can tell I didn't know you were there because I said it was just me and this Apollo capsule in the room. (laughs) You get sucked in. (laughs) That's true. There was actually a few more people in there. (laughs) Really? I didn't notice them. Anyway, how cool. Anyway, that was so cool. Anyway, so Adam Savage is, is gone and talking to them about, now it's gone back to Washington. The capsule's back there and they're, they're doing some things to it to get it ready for permanent display again. And it's pretty cool. It's a, an amazing space artifact. And you just get a sense that they really deeply care about, about it. Apparently, the paint on the inside is starting to peel mm. because like, they, they're basically not you know, expecting to have to make it last for Fifty odd years or whatever, and so it's not got a lot of things in it that it requires to uh, to be more permanent fixture. So I think they're working on trying to figure out how to what they can do to it to stop it from completely f-
0: peeling and falling to bits. This is is so cool. I remember seeing this. This is like like seeing the the honeycomb kind of look on the sh- on the outside skin and how it was filled in. Like I I didn't know that until we saw it in person and then you start like re- reading some of the stuff they had there. It's like, it's really interesting.
1: Did I go twice? Open. Oh man. Now I've, now I've got to go check my photos. Cause I think, I
0: think you've been, you went twice. I really I think you...
1: blanked. I've really blanked on going with you on this one.
0: No, you did. This is pre pandemic. And I don't remember what I was there for. Like a dev I kitchen remember. or something. Oh man. It was even before that. The last time I was there was, in, it was in January of 2020. And but you that would have been, would have been. You and that. I didn't, yeah, because you and I didn't connect to that one because you had just gotten back from trip from down trip. under. Yeah, it would have been 2019, I think. Anyway, yeah, pretty cool artifact. But
1: go check it out. There's interesting things about this. What they don't say in the in the video that I thought was really interesting is that there is handwritten, there are handwritten notes from Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong and Michael Collins on the inside of this thing, written in pen and pencil on the walls of uh, mm. like various numbers, you know, for calculations and things like that. They've just written on the walls and apparently uh, they snuck back into the capsule after they got out of it and were in quarantine. They went back into the capsule and wrote a wrote a note about what a great spacecraft it was. Kind of cool. June 2019. June 2019. Okay, there you go. It was BC. June 2019 BC. Yeah. Oh, look at that. There you go. Cool.
0: See, I've proof that I was there.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I'll go look at my photos. <laughs> and now I'm really interested if I visited twice. That would make sense. You probably but did. I can't remember. I would have. Awesome. Well, thanks, AC. Cool, man. Have a good week. We will catch everybody next week. Stay safe and uh, see you then.
0: Yeah, man. Good to see you
1: again. See ya. Did you like this episode? please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in your favorite podcast app. It helps people find out about our show and grow our audience, and we'd really appreciate it. If you have a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com forward slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or MP3 and provide us a link so we can play it on the show. You can also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up for our mailing list by heading over to microsoftcloudshow.com where you'll get notices of each episode as well as the show notes sent to you directly each week. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Thanks for listening.